This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. Washington Wise from Charles Schwab is an original podcast that unpacks the stories making news there. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. Hi, I'm Veronica Dagger, and this is the Wall Street Journal's Secrets of Wealthy Women, where women share how they tackle career, money, and the world. Today, we're speaking with Lydia Bastianich. She's an Italian-American chef, best-selling cookbook author, and restaurant owner with a global empire. She and her former husband opened their first restaurant in Queens, New York, with just nine tables. Today, she owns three restaurants in two cities, is a co-owner of the Italian food hall chain Italy, and has her own line of pasta and sauce. She's kept cool in the heat of the kitchen to come out on top in a male-dominated food industry, which is under even more scrutiny today. We want to talk to her about how it was and how it's changed. Lydia, welcome to Secrets. Buongiorno, Veronica. <laughs> Great. So we want to go back to that beginning of your cooking career. It was a small nine-table restaurant in Queens. Can you describe it for us? It was in Forest Hills, Queens. It was 1971. And uh, I was not, I was young, you know, just uh, I had my first child uh, and with my husband. And uh, he was in the industry. He was in the front of the house. And I had worked in the industry, but I wasn't a full-fledged chef yet. And so he said, he always wanted to open this restaurant. And I said, I'll be there with you. Let's let's do it. And we found this little place on Queens Boulevard, nine tables, you know, uh, in the suburbs. So not uh, the, the wasn't the investment wasn't too risky. Mm. It was a small place. We hired a chef. Uh, I went in the kitchen with him as a, as a sous chef and wanted to make sure that you know, the food that we loved, we would serve that kind of food. And so it started. It was a rainy, uh, I think, Thursday day. And in April, when we did open, the rain was pouring and there was a line out there. Wow. Th- thank God we had one of those uh, uh, awnings. And and so it started and continued. It was a success uh, from that moment on. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had a great time. And I really uh, honed sort of the skills, my skills as I went on. Well, how did you discover your love for the kitchen? Well, Veronica, uh, my story is I am an immigrant. I came here. I was 12 years old. And I was born in Istria. Istria is no longer Italy, but it was Italy. Istria is now Croatia. But after World War II, Italy lost the war. And uh, Istria and part of Dalmatia, which is in the northeastern corner of, uh, of Italy, uh, that part was given to the newly formed communist Yugoslavia. Italy lost the war. The Paris Treaty sort of decided the borders. And uh, I was just born around that time. And uh, we were caught as a family, as an Italian family, behind the Iron Curtain, now into a Yugoslavian culture. And it was a difficult time. Uh, It was a difficult time. Uh, Food-wise, we couldn't speak our language. We couldn't go to church. So, you know... um, I relate to today's needs of people that are trying to look for a place Mm. to live, to form a family, a life. Uh, But uh, we we lived like that for about 10 years. And during those 10 years, food was scarce. Uh, My mother was a teacher. My father, uh, a, a, a mechanic. 
And they stayed in the city, but they put us, my brother and I, with Grandma in a little town. And that's where the magic happened. Uh, Grandma had a courtyard. We had chickens. We had ducks. We had rabbits. We had two goats. I remember every morning milking the goats. That was breakfast. We had two, uh, two, two pigs Grandma had every November. The slaughter, the making of the prosciutto, the sausages, the garden. I would help her with the garden, uh, collect the vegetables, uh, clean uh, uh, the vegetables, collect the figs, dry the figs in the summer, uh, the, the, the beans, uh, shell the beans for the winter. And so I was the little runner for Grandma. Helped her make the bread, make the, the you know, whatever. And uh, my passion for, for, for food, the understanding maybe, you know, those aromas, those pristine flavors really stayed with me. I was recording those. And uh, in 1956, 10 years after, my parents decided that something must be done. My parents applied for a political asylum. We were uh, put in a political refugee camp, San Saba, for two years. Uh, that camp now is a, is a museum. And then ultimately in 1958, uh, we were given an opportunity to come to America. Dwight Eisenhower was the president. I recall that very vividly. But, Veronica, I think my passion for food was, was, uh, was my connector to that special place, to Grandma. And I began cooking all the aromas that I remember, the flavors that I recalled. They all brought Grandma back to me. And I've been cooking ever since and communicating with food ever since. You're on tour promoting your latest book, and that cookbook is based on your first Manhattan restaurant, Felidia. And that restaurant made you a major success around the world and put a bigger spotlight on your career. Felidia did give me really that platform. And in 1981 was 10 years after the first restaurant. By then we had two. We sold them. We leveraged that to open Felidia and almost didn't open because of our budgets. And mm. But we did ultimately, and I became the chef there. So here I was, a young woman chef, uh, Italian, and cooking regional Italian food. You know, Italy has 20 regions. And the food that is known in America is the Italian-American food, which is the Italian rendition uh, of uh, the immigrants' uh, food when they came here. They cooked what they remembered, what they found, the ingredients that they found. And it was a different cuisine, delicious cuisine, but it is a different cuisine. So here I was. I said, I'm going to cook the regional food of Italy. And I began polenta and risotto and yotta and whatever. And, of course, uh, uh, the, the the newspapers the, uh, became curious. The journalists became curious. Who is this woman? And ultimately, I think that the... The big coup, if you will, was when Julia Child and James Beard came over for dinner. And she loved the risotto. She wanted to learn how to make it. I remember it was mushroom risotto. She uh, asked me uh, ultimately to be on her show. Uh, and uh, we did two episodes. And that generated the interest of the producer. Lydia, you're pretty good. How about a show of your own? And it's 20 years ago that, you know, I started my Lydia's Kitchen on PBS, and I still have the show. So that's a great platform for me to, to um, share with the potential customers, viewers out there, my life, Italian food, uh, you know, give them some knowledge on how they can do that, and ultimately come and follow me, my restaurants, books, and so on. 
So just going back to your days starting out in the restaurant in Queens, you were the sous chef and then trained under that head chef. What was that training like? I was I remember I was very young, very excited and very enthusiastic about, you know, I um, Veronica, uh, you know, our industry is tough on women. It really is. Uh, uh, but uh, I was blessed maybe because uh, it was a family business, but also I was young and I was very enthusiastic about. I loved what I did. And uh, I'm, I don't know if I've ever considered myself, oh, I am a woman doing this. You know, mm. I am a chef. I am a cook. And my focus was on my profession. And I tell uh, when I speak to women's group or whatever, I tell them all, I said, focus on the profession, not you as a woman in the profession. Get that down. In, educate yourself. Invest in yourself. Be the best that you can be. And then go out there as a professional and make it happen. How do you feel like the industry is tough on women? The hours. The uh, There's long hours. There's late hours. So running a household with children and the restaurant is tough. But then, you know, the restaurant industry was basically men and they still feel they own it. And, uh, you know, it's now sort of, uh, it's it's kind of leveling out the field, and which is great. But if you, if you went into a kitchen and, you know, uh, the chef was God with his big hat and whatever, <laughs> and uh, whoever was under him, you know, you came in as, as a subordinate uh, on all levels, uh, specifically if you were a woman. Did you ever experience any of that macho, controlling kitchen culture? Not as much in my restaurants, but I did a lot of uh, out events and went to big hotels and with big chefs, you know, all these food events. And there, undoubtedly, especially if they didn't know, not that I was all that famous then in a sense, but, uh, you know, they really challenged me in every single way. Prove yourself, prove yourself. Ultimately, when I cooked and they ate my food, they got it. But And that was my defense, you know. I was a professional. I produced good food, and that earned me a sort of respect throughout. So we have to talk about Mario Batali. He's a celebrity chef who was your longtime business partner until allegations of sexual harassment forced him from the industry. What was your reaction when you heard? I, I, I was so surprised. It was it was uh, I was not aware of the depth of his misgiving or mistreating or whatever. In in the restaurant that we co owned, uh, there was one incident that uh, uh, a woman co-worker complained, and we addressed it immediately. He had to go for training, and that was that. I think a lot of what he did happened outside uh, on his on his time off or whatever. And, you know, I didn't socialize with him much, so I didn't know, and they wouldn't tell me. Within uh, our units, uh, because, you know, I, we didn't work that close. We had kind of divisions of, of labor. But uh, the only complaint I got is once and we addressed it. So you cut ties with Batali. And now the New York Attorney General is also investigating your restaurant group and your son for the way it handled harassment complaints. Have you made any changes in company culture and accountability in the wake of all this? Oh, absolutely. Right away, uh, we negotiated to get uh, Mario out of the uh, our business uh, so we are the sole owners, the family. It's my daughter and uh, my son now. That run the, we implemented, you know, the training as far as the work. 
place, but also as far as labor, of tra training of management, we have a line, an independent uh, a line that uh, if they have any complaint in a restaurant, they can call and, uh, and file the complaints in a sense so that we can uh, investigate and take take correction. Absolutely. I think it's behind us because, you know, that's what I'm all about, you know, and I've been. When all of this came out, I says, my God, we have to straighten this out and, you know, what is our philosophy? Continue with our philosophy. Get rid of all the uh, uh, specifically uh, Mario and, and 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 move on. And of course, you know, I think he still has. Uh, he might have some skeletons in the. In the I don't know, mm -hmm. but uh, that's his business now. Is it difficult for you personally to have your name associated with this sort of thing? Because that's oh, not absolutely. what you stand for. Absolutely, it is. It was very difficult. I was depressed. I really was. I said, Lydia. That's not you. How could could you have not maybe seen her? I you know it wasn't happening in front of me. But you, you know what? Um, there is the reality of who I am and my strength as a woman and my beliefs in in uh, women and working with women and the trust that I have in women. That's strong in me, and I have to make that uh, for the better of the industry in the future. How has all the changes with Batali and all the changes you've had to make in your business affected your business's bottom line? I think initially the, the customers really are very uh, were very responsive, and uh, you know they did not want any part of uh, where they thought uh, that what they ate and paid for would go to Batali. So you know, uh, eliminating him out of uh, out of this and making the the uh, the diner understand how we went after this, you know, and our partners on the West Coast is Nancy Silverton. So we have women, my daughter. So, you know, we made really the women's strength very present in our organization because we are there and uh, uh, reinforce that. And so, but but it, it did, people are very conscious, responsive, and uh, uh, now the whole thing is uh, has turned around. Was it a wake-up call, do you think, in terms of the industry? I think so. Something had to, to happen. You know, women uh, were, were competent and good and passionate like any other worker. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we needed more space. Uh, actually, about uh, not only as f space as far as uh, chefs and professionals, but also and opportunities from the financial world. Uh, the restaurant industry is a very risky industry anyway. Mm. And especially women wanted to grow in the restaurant industry. And ultimately, you know, you are, when you are an owner, when you own your own business, then you're really on top of, of things. You can do things. And uh, for women to get financing from um, money to open restaurants from the financial world was very difficult. About 15 years ago, um, there was about six of us. We grouped together. We formed Women Chefs and Restaurateur. It's, uh, it's an organization still existing. I think it's over 2,000 strong. And uh, at that time, my focus was, you know, this focus of, of, of the six of us was not so much to have Oh, we're going to cry on each other's shoulder. But to address this issue of finance and give women an opportunity to meet uh, bankers, to meet uh, the American Express people, to, to uh, you know, to give them an opportunity to possibly move on and have their own uh, restaurant and, you know, have their own platform, if you will. 
coming up, Lydia explains how she runs her family business and what's next for her food empire. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. NetSuite by Oracle brings accounting, finance, inventory, and HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce costs everywhere. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. So head to netsuite.com slash wallstreet right now. So what started out as one small restaurant has today grown into an international empire. How did you know what steps to take to grow your business? I think you have to be very much in tuned. In tuned, you know, you have to follow. Food evolves, but the actual culture of food has a slow evolvement through the ages. But it has it has become precipitous in a sense of, of uh, uh, you know, certainly the internet, the marketing, the uh, everything being able to, to be had all over the world, uh, the mixture of cultures. So there's, you know, the, the millennials, the, the, the um, attitude of young people, you know, they are very much into food. Uh, they love Good food, they love healthy food, they're conscious about the environment, and food is all part of this. They are conscious about the business uh, of food, but also I think that one thing is maybe they're a little less needy of service, which mm. was kind of part of the restaurant business uh, a, decade, a decade ago or so, that people wanted to be pampered. The new customer, if you will, does not, does not have the time to spend uh, and and uh, but demands good healthy foods, and they know it. You have a lot of different ventures, and you're working with your kids now too. How has that changed how you run your business? I have kind of a a, a mentor feeling now with the chefs, with my children, uh, with so I encourage them. But I think for for a family business which is uh, not an easy business. It's not easy to put together a family and, and collaborate in a, in a successful business. Um, you need to give your, your ne- the next generation an opportunity to be creative, to grow, to bring their ideas. And I would say that my growth in the last uh, uh, 10 years has precisely been the fact of my son coming in and then my daughter and giving them that opportunity. How did you know to step back a bit, it sounds like, and give them, give up some of that control so they could learn and they can grow the business? Because a lot of founders, and you're essentially the founder, have difficulty doing that. Yes. It, it's not easy. In the beginning, there was a little frictional. But, you know, I looked at the situation and with the cons- consultation of, you know, a lot of my financial the advisors, if you will, you know, the bankers, the uh, accountants and all of that, um, it's, it's it became evident uh, that, you know, they were intelligent. They were passionate. They wanted, they had ideas. So as their ideas grew, I kind of uh, sort of just endorsed them or corrected them or added to these ideas. And what what I, I love doing is, you know, I love my the message 
that I can give out, whether it's through books, whether it's through my television, and and through the mentoring. So s- slowly, this is what I do more of, and I love it. But I'm always part of their growth because that's what it is. But it's it's a great satisfaction, you know, because uh, I guess because I'm a mother to see your own offsprings uh, grow, uh, kind of thrive and grow and be successful in what you are. And you know, sometimes <laughs> what, what, what happens are that uh, when at the beginning this is, oh, I would never do that. You know, mom, you're wrong and whatever. Now I see them doing some of the same things. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the greatest financial lesson you learned about entrepreneurship over the years? Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, almost not making it. <laughs> that coming close to that, that that edge and, you know, just almost desperation. That was when we opened Philidia. And uh, we didn't, you know, our budget was very tight. We, we sold the two restaurants that we had. All of the savings that the family had, that my mother had, everything went in it. And uh, what we didn't predict was that the house... The brownstone that Philidia is in needed underpinning all around. So, you know, and that was uh, a big chunk of money, 200, I think, and $50,000 at that time, and uh, the time that it took. So that really took us uh, for, for a loop. Uh, and uh, we worked nights. We, I mean, I cooked for the workers so that they would work there. I had a little stove and uh, cook for them so that they would work overtime so that they were, you know, that, they, that we would get it finished. What advice do you have for young women who want to run the kitchen and have a business like yours? I think, you know, just encourage the women out there in our industry, just Go for it. There are opportunities. But the one thing is just invest in yourself. Be the best that you can be, you know, whether the school, whether apprenticeship. uh, uh, And, uh, you know, take the time. And when you feel that you're ready, take that leap. Go for it and make it happen. And uh, in in our industry, uh, I would say, you know, look at yourself as a professional. Don't look at the gender. I think, you know, more women need to come to the top. More women need to uh, hold the key positions, whether it's chef, whether it's managers, whether it's owners. And the opportunities need to be there for the women uh, financially. And uh, investors, you know, should consider ever more uh, women because, uh, um, you know, I think that women are great in this industry. It's almost, you know, we are nurturers. We are, uh, uh, in a sense, uh, uh, yes, it's difficult, the hours and all that. But but uh, uh, some of the top chefs coming up now are women because they have this chance. They have this open, if, uh, if, if you will. Would you say that standard is higher for women in the industry? Yeah, somehow women are expected to, to, to produce, to do to do more, to prove themselves maybe more. But, you know, I think uh, give credit to all these young chefs and everybody, all these women coming back in the, they are really facing it with strength, which is great. That's great. Thank you so much, Lydia. My pleasure. If you'd like to hear more of Secrets of Wealthy Women, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite audio provider. If you like us, subscribe, share us on social media, and give us a review. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thank you for listening.